about? The elephant in the room? What's the elephant in the room? Your foot? My foot? It looks like an elephant. My foot's not an elephant. <laughs> no, I, uh, I injured myself this weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, in a super cool and interesting way uh-huh. <laughs> uh, while I was dressed as a Power Ranger for a kid's party. <laughs> Aww. This is the second time you've injured yourself being dressed as a Power, as Ranger, a Power Ranger for a kid's party. Yeah. So. Yep. And a... I cannot walk. I can't yeah. walk. So, Aww. uh, my, I have been elevating and icing and compressing and taking anti-inflammatories and Hopefully, by next weekend, when I have uh, two or three parties that I have to do, I will be able to walk again. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Because that's going to be... It was already very problematic trying to do a party, because I injured myself at the very beginning of the party, so I couldn't walk for the entirety of the party, essentially, so I had to come up with a lot of things on the fly. <laughs> That's good. Let's allow, you know. I did a lot of silly walking. It was like, I'm going to walk, but silly. Is that just making fun of, like, cripples, though? No, it was the best thing I could do. <laughs> um, because my character, that particular Power Ranger is an unfrozen caveman. That would be uh, oh. Coda, the blue dino charge ranger. Mm. So um, I tend to play him as kind of a big dummy. So I just decided I was going to walk everywhere and I was being sneaky. So I was taking Uh, like little sneaky steps everywhere. Or sometimes I would just hop on one foot for no reason, just for fun. Would you like to show us? Uh, I would not. No. I'd very much like to see it. Because I had to, uh, (laughs) I think I might have made my injury worse by trying to walk. But that was the best I could do. It's super cool to see a Power Ranger using a katana as a cane. (laughs) That's kind of like a cool photo in my head, like a nice painting of like a samurai Power Ranger, like well beyond his time. Okay, instead. You had a good weekend. Yeah, yeah, I had a good weekend. I had work. Yeah. How was your weekend, girl? Uh, You know, pretty normal. Went to Big Bear with a bunch of people, played board games all weekend. It was great. It's great. It's a good time. Normal. That, you do that every week. Didn't break my foot. Did anyone break their foot? Uh, no. no. No one got injured, as far as I can tell. I think. Oh, I cut myself in my hand a little bit. We were we were like tossing pine cones around like they were footballs. Uh-huh. Pine cones were everywhere. Yep. So that, I think someone else might have also cut their hand because of that. But other than that, no one broke a foot or an arm or anything. Okay. I mean, I don't understand how that could have been that great of a time if nobody got well, spectacularly injured, but... You're true. You're yeah. true. I guess. I, I think you're right. Am yeah. I true? You're true. I am true. You're true. You're true. Um, well, let's, let's get started. Okay. Let's get started. Okay. So, uh, welcome to Experience Pointers. We are a trio of RPG gamers here to talk about tabletop role-playing games, uh, aspects of playing and GMing, and hopefully uh, give you some ideas for you to bring into your own games at home. My name is Jordan. I'm Megan. My name's Garav. And the three of us together form... Voltron! That's good. What? I don't know. She seemed like she was going in a different direction than I was trying to anticipate ahead of time. And it didn't work. Just pick Voltron every time. It'll be fine. I didn't want to copyright infringe. Um, And today, we're going to be talking about uh, the anxieties and stresses that you tend to deal with as a GM. But before we get to that, we have uh, a special messer. A special messer. You're true. From our sponsor. (laughs) That's right. The sponsor of this episode of Experience Pointers is Ben Danish. And Ben Danish has sent us a little message that he would like us to read. Mm. Uh, It's not so much a message as it is a question that I have for for the two of you. Okay. Okay. How do you figure out the distance around a cookie? Um... It's like circumference versus diameter. 
mm-hmm. multiplied by chocolate. You're really close, but I think you're overthinking it. Okay. Because the answer is, you measure its circumference. Okay. All right. It's okay. circumference. I didn't say that word, so you I did. feel like I was pretty But you close. didn't say circumference. Okay. Because yeah. that's that's the key. Yeah. That is how you figure out the distance around a cookie. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Ben Danish. And <laughs> Thanks, thank, Ben Danish. Thank you for your continued sponsorship of Experience Pointers. We appreciate it. We do. So uh, let's jump into it. Okay. So we kind of talked about some of the things that uh, that we struggle with uh, when we're getting ready to run a game mm-hmm. and uh, tried to extrapolate just from what we've read and what we've talked to other people about what some common uh, anxieties and fears and worries might be from mm-hmm. GMs when they are getting ready to run a game. Yeah. And we put a list together of, of things. So we're going to talk about those and talk about how to deal with them. Yeah. I think this is going to be a pretty short episode because I don't have any anxieties. Like, I've never been oh, yeah? anxious wow. as a person who runs games. I don't know why we're doing this, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. That's interesting. It's interesting you say that because mm. you recently ran, uh, started running a mini campaign on Saving Throw. Didn't I? I feel like I blacked out for most of it. No, no, no. I'm pretty mm, sure it's yeah. called It's Always Cloudy in Barovia. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the one. Yeah. And you said mm-hmm. it 100 years after the fall of Strahd and Curse of Strahd. I did. And that you was... ran your first session last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I did. And I was super anxious about it. <laughs> what? But you just said. That's the joke oh i get it <laughs> sir crumference sir crumference <laughs> um yeah uh well let's start out from the top of our list and our first thing we put down was rules knowledge just basic mm-hmm. knowing how the system works mm-hmm. yes and that can be you know it can give uh, some sort of anxiety to a lot of people especially new gms who are starting out and you know haven't learned all the rules because even looking at like the dm's guide it's like 300 pages. Well, yeah. And then, the you know, talking about D&D in particular, the tricky thing about that is that's not the only book that you need. Yeah. To, like, if you're right. the DM, you mm-hmm. really need to read the player's handbook and the DM's guide. And you should be cursorily familiar, ideally, with the monster manual. Yeah. yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So that's an intim. I mean, that's like what... Almost a thousand pages. Yeah, right? that's a lot of pages. That's intimidating for, <sighs> for it, new GMs. It's pages of information not just well i mean i'm not saying there's no story story element but i'm just saying it's it's your it's information that's even harder to read is what i'm saying in my opinion the best rpgs are ones uh that have written their rule books in an engaging way yeah but even so yes you are still reading a large dump of information and it can be intimidating uh as a gm when you're Mm -hmm. learning a new system or you're learning to gm for the first time and you feel like i have to do this right yeah. I have to do this perfectly, which means I need to know all of the rules. Yeah. Well, um, that's a big, big source of stress. I see that repeated a lot among yeah. among GMs. I definitely, I mean, when I ran Mysterious, anything that I've tried to run, actually, I've gone, oh, I should go rules light. Because I, trying to sit down and, and shove that kind of information in my head with any amount of decent time is, I don't know how to do it. I have yet either to find the right RPG that is uh, a book that I need to sit down and read, or I just haven't learned that skill, or I haven't figured out the way in which I need to learn rules. So I totally, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but, should we, I mean, that's that's a pretty, we've talked about that fear enough, right? Because I, yeah. I think that the major, the major response to that worry and fear is... It doesn't matter anywhere near as much as you think it does. No, you yeah. you don't. I mean, I I yeah, I def that is definitely something I've worried about. But you really, I mean, games in general are meant to be 
guidelines. And I'm not you mean saying rules in general. Yeah, well, I mean RPGs sure. in general. The rules in general, yes, are meant to be guidelines more than something that's completely strict. And if you don't follow it to a T, you've ruined it. It's it's more about it's about your game and how you want to run it. And, you know, everyone talks about house rules. House rules could be, you know what, I'm going to rule this this way right now because I don't remember what the actual rule is. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might have a player who's like, no, this is the rule, and, you know, and gets huffy about it. But at the same time, your players are there to help you. And the player might know a rule that you don't. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And like, yeah, you definitely don't need to read a thousand pages mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, and you shouldn't know all the rules. Like, that's way too much information. You're going to be killing important information to put that information in your brain. And why? There's a book in front of you at all times. You could look it up at any time, and you should. Yeah. Or have a player at your table look it up yeah. and learn it together. Like, that's fun. And mm-hmm. and of note, in the, in the D&D starter set, in the Pathfinder starter set, in a lot of games' starter sets, they give you quick start rules that are significantly shorter. Yeah. Uh, like, we're talking in the, in the realm of, like, 20 to 30 pages instead of 1,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That's what they give you. That's enough to run the game. So you should you should take that and realize that there's really only a small core of things that you absolutely need to know in order to run a game. Mm-hmm. And like you guys said, um, rules are generally a guideline, but the game is what happens at your table. The game is what you and your players have fun with. So maybe you do have a player who's super knowledgeable about the rules. Use them as a tool. If you're, if you're like, hey, I actually don't know how to rule that. Do you know how to rule that? And it, maybe they do, or maybe they don't, but they're willing to look it up for you yeah. so you can continue going in combat. Mm-hmm. One thing that I always do anytime I'm running a new system, or any system really, if we come into like a sticky rules area, I will go, I'm going to rule it like this right now, but then I, make an, I, but then I say I'm going to make a note to myself to look that up, and then next time I'll let you guys know what the official ruling is, if I can find one. Mm-hmm. If not, we'll come up with a way to do it. But... I am always in favor of let's just keep the game moving. I'm just going to say for now, that works like this. And in general, I would recommend trying to make the way that it works be something in the player's favor. Don't be like, for now, I'm just going to say that you instantly die. Um, But like, (laughs) I'll check and then next week, maybe we'll find out you shouldn't have died and then your next character won't die like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If it's something big and important like that, maybe take the time to check the rule book. Absolutely. also say that generally speaking like i was saying reading rules is not something that comes easy to me i learn kinesthetically i learn through doing through action uh so you're kind of doing that together as you play you learn more sort of like what you were saying garav is that you uh, if something comes up, then everybody can look it up together and you learn and you actually are able to to hold on to that information in a different way. So it's sort of take the stress off of yourself, especially if you're just beginning a new game system or you're a, a brand new GM. It's okay to not know everything and learn as you go because that is how it's going to work. It's how it's worked for every single person, no matter what they say. I swear to you, that's how it's worked. Yeah, no no one expects you to be an infallible rules god. Uh, and if they do, they should lower their expectations because that's a lot to put on somebody. Well, that's yeah. unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so really, just let yourself off the hook for that one. No, I mean, yes, as a GM, you have to do more reading. Um... But you probably knew that if you signed up for it. So, um, but look online also for resources. Uh, a lot of fans have put together like quick start or like here's the bare minimum things you need to know in order to run a game. So check check for things like that. <coughs> All right, moving on. Yeah, next, let's do it. Next on our list, next one is time management, also content management. Mm. 
time and content management. This one's kind of interesting because we actually, I started talking about this one. And for the, for the most part, the three of us have been running games on a stream, on Saving Throw, a Twitch stream. So time management is a little different there. And we discussed it for a, li a little while thinking, well, maybe this isn't something that everybody runs into. But then we realized, no, it, it often is because we're all busy people. Everybody's busy these days. And often it's hard to get your group together. And when you do, you may only have a few hours. Yeah, yeah. People have limited time to, like, you, you can't just show up for an eight-hour game session uh, yeah. in most groups. Like, everyone's got other stuff going on, and they've set aside some time, but that's all the time they have. Or maybe you get one eight-hour session every couple of months or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I, I would say in that case, time management is even more important to right. make that eight-hour session feel, you know, satisfactory to everybody. Right. Yeah. Like, you, you still got to manage your time to make it uh, worthwhile. So, so I guess breaking that down into what the anxiety or the fear is is that you won't be able to get to enough stuff in that period of time where it'll feel like it was a worthwhile session or you're worried that you won't have enough material to fill the time period of that I session? I think to me yes on both of those things but it's also about and I guess you sort of touched on this but it's also about wanting it to feel satisfying or in the way that you you know, having like a beginning, middle, and end, and ending at the right time, and that being a satisfactory ending or whatever it might be, getting sure. to something at the right time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so the, the, the easiest way to deal with this is to realize that anything can be, not anything, but most things can be a decent enough cliffhanger. You don't have to end on like a, oh my gosh, the train is falling off the side of the cliff and you guys are on it. Are you going to survive? I don't know. We'll find out next time. It can be just like, hey, I've got a job for you guys mm -hmm. and yep. we'll find out next time. Or like you guys open the next door in the dungeon, but what's behind it? I don't know. We'll find out next time. Like figure out a point in your game that feels like a satisfying stopping point. Maybe it's a little bit early. Maybe it goes a little bit later than you wanted to. But, like, feel like you can... Even a tiny bit of mystery can be enough to keep people uh, excited to come back and figure it out. So I think learning to identify what a uh, good stopping point is, is is a skill that you develop as a GM. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to be great at it at first. Yeah. If you're a new GM, it takes time. Also, you don't have to end on a cliffhanger. No, no, you absolutely don't. Well, right. and that's, that's because, uh, you know, also, and, and having said that, wanting it to feel satisfying, that is actually the way I like to approach a game because I want to approach it as a story, as, as a form of entertainment. And that's the story element and that feeling uh, is what is important to me. But that's not important to everybody in mm -hmm. their game. Sure. For some people, they just want to uh, do a lot of really cool battles or whatever it might be. It could be completely different. So uh, I think in that, when it, we come to time, we're talking more about um, making sure that you have enough content for the amount of time you're going for or you don't have too much, I suppose, or being able to manage your battles so that they don't go on forever. But or having said that, I mean, I started playing 3.5 D&D, and battles can go really long when you yeah, get higher level. Usually longer than you expect. Yeah, several game sessions, we had to end in the middle of a battle. So what we did is we would all take pictures of the of the game board, which is now even easier because everyone has photo uh, cameras on their phone. And um, 
the GM would make a couple notes about like what the initiative order was and who was who was up and all that kind of stuff. And then we would literally just show up the next time, set the battle back up and jump back into it. It's not ideal, but nobody complained about it. Like we were all on board like, yeah, we ran out of time and it's cool. We'll come back and finish this next time. Um, so going having too much stuff um, isn't necessarily a, a problem but that doesn't mean you have to over prep because a lot of people are worried about not having enough stuff mm -hmm. to fill a game session i think which is why i think a lot of gms have a tendency to over prep because they're worried that they won't have enough content to fill a session yeah um and having run a session in which i did not have enough content it uh, uh yeah it, it can be upsetting but it was still okay i still figured it out yeah I have ended games earlier than I wanted to, um, but it still ended in at a satisfying play. Like, I was still able to put together the story that I wanted to, and I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. man, I thought this was going to take four hours, but it only took, like, two and a half. Yeah. But still, it felt like no one was like, oh, lame. Like, everyone was like, okay, cool. Yeah, no, that feels good. That feels yeah. like a, a logical, organic place to stop. And I'm satisfied with what we did. Mm -hmm. And then what, once you get a feel of like how you can time out your encounters and what would feel like appropriate times, and you'll get that once you've played with that group for maybe mm. four or five weeks, yeah. you'll understand that a combat, they usually flow through, but an, an RP encounter, a role-play encounter, takes them a little longer because they like to play with that. They like to, to flesh it out. So after a while, you can, after you're actually prepping your game, you can actually write down a time that'll say like, this will probably take an hour. This will probably take two hours. So you can maybe look at the clock and be like, mm, this is going to take a little longer. So you can you can fast forward or, or slow down or however you need to based on that by just playing with your group and figure out how they feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and every group is different. Like you yeah. said, it's going to take you some time and experience with a new group of people to figure out how they play and how everything times out. But again, this isn't something that you need to really worry a whole lot about. Um, you will figure it out as you go. You're going to screw up sometimes. You might have way too much stuff. You might have not enough stuff. But on the whole, everyone's there to have fun together. So your players should be pretty forgiving of that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's so don't go. stress. Don't stress. Don't don't stress about anything. Ever. Yeah, ever. <laughs> uh, okay, guys. How do you stress about going off the rails? Oh. So this is stressing about your players going off the yeah. rails. Oh, not the GM? No, no. That never happens. No, no. The GM <laughs> is always on target. Always, always on, on point. target. The GM is the train. Wait, I'm confused. Anyway. They are, yeah. No, they're the train. The players get on the train. No, no. The GM <laughs> is the tracks. The yeah. players are the train. Uh, the, the players are the train. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah and the so. conductor is the dice. And the wheels are the initiative cards that you use. I feel to... like we're going too far with this. Okay. I just really like trains. Yeah. yeah. The smoke is... No, okay, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So this this was my thing on this one, um, is that the anxiety of my players going off a different direction than I expected and me not being able to satisfactorily... Uh, I don't know, interact with them, I suppose, in that instance, or come up with something that makes sense or or, or uh, make them feel too railroaded because I just shunt them back to where I want them, which I don't think I have ever done. So, But there's still that worry of that or the worry that, oh, the way I handled that was lame or something like that. I think that that is, that's, that's my worry there. Yeah, yeah. You, a lot of GMs worry like, <laughs> oh man, what if my players do something unexpected and throw me a curveball and I don't know what to do and I can't recover? 
So that is another reason why I think a lot of GMs tend to over-prep, because they will try to plan for every possible contingency, every possible decision that their players might make, and have an answer for all of it. So you end up prepping, you know, like eight hours worth of content to fill a four-hour game just in case they take branching paths. Um, but you don't need to do that. Yeah, you don't. Like, if it happens in the middle of a game and they really throw you a curveball, like, just kind of just kind of tell them, like, hey, I, I didn't really plan for this. Can you guys just give me five minutes? Like, go get some pizza, have a little drink, and just give me five minutes to think of something, and then we'll get back into the game. Yes. Like, be a little honest. Mm-hmm. They'll probably take it as a compliment. Be like, oh, look what we did. Obviously, don't do that too much because then they might take it as like, oh, we should do this more often and just throw all these curveballs. Well, I think I, I think eventually the fact that you need to take a break from the table in order to figure out what to do next will yeah. will um, discourage anyone yeah. from, from doing that too much because then they don't get to play during yeah. that point. Usually, I just go in the other room and cry for five minutes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Five minutes and then five minutes of prep. So five minutes of crying, five minutes of prep. That's a good <laughs> um, ratio to keep as a GM. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think you're exactly right. That's, that's something that players are cool with you're like hey okay i wasn't actually prepared for you guys to go like to strike off randomly into the wilderness and try and explore a random cave that you came across i will also say in in my the the game that i'm referring to most recently being mysterium which was a mystery um i i created here are points that need to be hit but i didn't necessarily say where they needed to be hit or how. I mean, I, I sort of had the elements of it. So that allowed, I, I guess that could still be considered railroad, railroading. But what I did is allow the players to decide where they wanted to go and why. And then eventually I would, around whatever their decision was, trigger that event that would help move them on to the next thing. Some Yes. So I think what you just said is really um, important there, Megan, because you said you would consider that railroading. Uh, when it is... I, I think that some people would. Some people would. I, not necessarily sure. I do. <laughs> but um, the important thing to remember as a GM is you are the only person who is aware of all of those pieces being in place like that. The right. players do not see it in that way. Mm-hmm. Railroading that players complain about is is the kind of thing where they're like, we want to go explore this cave. And you're like, no, you're going to the tavern. It's Shit. closed for business. Yeah, the cave the cave has been um, closed. <laughs> the cave is closed. Uh, there is no cave. And every other place in town is closed, but the tavern is open. Yeah. Um, that's, that's railroading. What you're talking about, yeah, is more like a style of prep. And this is something I urge you to try if you haven't. Like, give it a try and see how it works for you. It might not work. And then if that's the case, throw it in the river. But um, think of... Your session as like a flow chart essentially of major beats that need to be hit, but the connections between those beats can be anything. Um, and now this is sort of a, a, a halfway method between improvisational GMing and really structured GMing, but like if you know the starting point, the ending point, and a middle point for your game session. Um, let the players take any path they want to get from the beginning to the middle, but just as they're going, be listening to them actively and be thinking about how you can let the decisions they're making get them to that next point. You know, like, um, maybe, maybe, uh, you're doing a mystery, a murder mystery, and you have a very important witness that you know they need to, uh, talk to, like, Mm -hmm. let's say, a nobleman's butler. And you're like, oh, they really need to talk to this butler because he saw he was a witness and he saw something. But they don't put that together, and instead they want to go talk to the city watch. Um, so let them go talk to the city watch, 
and then make one of the witnesses, instead of the butler, it was a city watchman, and they can find the next piece of information they need there. That still gets them to the same point you needed them to get to, which is finding that information, but they got there through a way they chose. Or, yeah, or you could, they go to the city watch, and the city watch says something about being suspicious about the butler. I mean, sure. if you really need to keep it, the butler. Yeah. yeah. That That's kind of how, yeah, that, that is very much how I, I approached it, which made me feel confident. Because I felt like my players had the ability to play however they wanted, but I still had the ability to trigger what I needed to win and get them to the next spot. It just, mm -hmm. you know, wasn't so nailed down. And, like, maybe they gain, maybe while they're there at the City Watch, you can give them, like, maybe they meet a new ally or something that becomes useful later on. Like, you can reward them for taking the initiative to go and do something else, mm -hmm. and then everything feels like it came about organically because of the decisions they tried to do. And it kind of creates this cool back and forth between GM well, and player. You know what else that does, especially for mysteries? It makes your players feel smart, which is a really sure. big deal. Yeah. That, to me, is a huge deal because I've played in games where I feel like an idiot. And and it, and a lot of it was uh, that was something that happened over time, and that was a GM issue. I, I'm not saying that it wasn't also a player issue, but it was. The GM often made us feel very stupid. Um, and I hated that. Because whenever you want to play a game like this, if you're playing a mystery, you want to feel like Sherlock Holmes. Right. You're probably not Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a back and forth to help you help your players feel that way by essentially rewarding the decisions they make by giving them something there. And that's an oversimplification of what I'm trying to say. But what I'm saying is by doing that, by being open like that and sort of letting them choose uh, and not nailing your... Uh, your clues or whatever it is down to a specific spot you're 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 actually making your players feel great so that's two different potential ways to deal with uh players going off the rail you know be honest and upfront with them and be like hey wasn't expecting this uh can we take a quick recess while mm -hmm. i figure out what to do next and then come back that's totally cool the other way is to um try and figure out how to sort of let that decision still lead back to the next point that you wanted to make like recreate whatever type of information it was they needed to find maybe uh there's also that bard that was at the tavern he loves spelunking so mm -hmm. he's in that cave yeah yeah exactly. um or whatever Perfect. you know yeah. he's exploring some ancient ruins or in that cave and then they can still talk to him um also another quick aside in your prep work um a lot of gms that i have uh some of them i've talked to and some i've read their blogs and stuff online um, they'll have kind of like a little folder of like go-to things like they'll they'll take some time during their prep or like during their work day to like doodle out a three or four room cave or something like that so that they have like if you're like no I don't know this random cave we want to go look at that you're like okay cool I have a cave let me just pull that out of my folder we're gonna spend some time exploring this cave this is what you guys wanted to do um, so use your prep work to like every now and then create like some sort of generic locations or encounters that can be uh swiss army knifed into your game hmm. uh, and that can also be another useful tool yeah that's cool i didn't know you read my blog you have a blog oh, oh <laughs> disappointment wah, wah. Let's, let's move on i'm true uh, <laughs> uh so next thing on our list is uh being anxious about your uh setting or your campaign being a little too familiar or derivative of something the players have seen before so their expectations might change and that might affect how your game runs yeah we talk about this a lot i feel like a lot of gms mm -hmm. put an insane amount of pressure on themselves to tell an entirely new story yeah. completely surprise their characters yeah. tell like 
create a world that's like nothing they've ever seen yeah. before. Probably impossible. It's all been done, everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't, I'm sure if you spent way, way too much time and effort, you could come up with some new stuff. But not everyone has that much time and that much energy to pour into their game. So I am a big, big proponent of steal everything. Steal yeah. everything and anything. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter. People love familiar stories. Yeah, I don't have an original bone in my body, guys. This isn't even my real name. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. wow. Okay, yeah, so I definitely didn't read your blog then. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite story archetype of all time is hero must pass through a series of escalating challenges in order to accomplish X. I love that kind of crap. I love where it's like, oh, you have to go through the halls of challenge and each room will be more fiendish and different. <laughs> like, that is my jam. Any any time I see that in a TV show, read it in a story, play it in a game, I'm like, yes. It's true. I, I can verify that. Oh my God, yes. This is my favorite. Um, so anytime that shows up, I am psyched. Even though I know the way those things work and I've seen a million of them, I get excited because that is a familiar story that I love. That's mm-hmm. why um, the fourth Harry Potter book is my favorite one, because it has the Triwizard <gasps> Tournament That's in my it. favorite, too. It's a good Goblet one. of Fire so good. I know. I, I like six. I like, okay, no, that one's also good. Half-Blood Princess. <laughs> um, but that's like, you know, if, if your players realize, oh, we're kind of playing Star Wars, they'll be psyched about that. Yeah. yeah. Because then they get to kind of either lean into the tropes mm-hmm. or turn stuff on its head. They get to play in that world the yeah. way they want to, and people get excited about that. They get to live vicariously through their favorite heroes. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's great. Yeah. And also, if you if you kind of quilt together elements from a bunch of different things, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example offhand. Pokemon and Batman, go. Pokemon <laughs> and Batman. Wow. Okay, not really what I was going, because Pokemon's not a like a story archetype. Isn't it, though? Uh, okay, so here we go. Um, it's a hero's journey. Yeah, young boy from the middle of nowhere <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is the chosen one. Yep. And journeys around and becomes the most powerful whatever in the world. Mm. The most powerful bike stealer <laughs> in the world. This is like one thing I know about Misty. And I play Misty on the weekend, so I'm just... <laughs> There's a That's... lot more to her, Megan. When it's all about doubt, that bike. When in doubt, you just scream, yeah, but you stole my bike. Yep. <laughs> um, That's I told Bree. And Batman, the story of a young boy who suffered a tragic loss and traveled around the world training and eventually became the most powerful person in the world. The most powerful insane person in the world. No, he's not insane. I went to a, <laughs> I went to a, 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 a panel about that with some psychiatrists one time. Was it inside an insane asylum? No, it was at WonderCon. <laughs> Same thing. Um, so already you've got your, your um, corollary there. I don't know. I don't really want to turn those two into a game. That's a solo experience. Come on. <laughs> Batman and your silent protagonist in Pokemon work alone. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, all of those elements. Well, okay, so there's a good thing, though. We actually just broke down Batman and Pokemon into being essentially the same, same story. Because <laughs> um, it is. Right. Um, and, that's, and that's kind of like what you were talking about, where there's nothing new. Like, really, I think, what's the thing? There's, all, there's, there's only like, like six seven. or seven stories seven. That, are, that can be told. Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just take a familiar story and let your players be the chosen protagonist. I I actually feel like if there is a story, sort of like what Jordan was talking about, really liking that 
a series of trials story. I think if there's something that you are really passionate about, a particular story or, or, um, or even a fandom or whatever, I actually think that can be better sometimes because you're excited about it, which is going to most likely get your players excited about it. Like you guys remember, And you know it, which is cool. Too. You remember that time on Wild Cards? You guys had to go yes. through a house that had nine rooms and uh-huh. there was a different challenge in each room oh, until yeah. you got... Yeah. That's, I, I was already thinking about that. I was so psyched to create that. That was like... <laughs> was our Halloween episode. Yeah. Last season. Well, it season was, two. I filled so many pages of notebook with that. <laughs> um... But yeah, like just just follow the kind of story you're passionate about. Follow what your players enjoy, and don't worry about coming up with like these brilliantly created. Not everyone is Monty Cook, you know. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can come up with Invisible Sun, mm. and even Invisible Sun is a lot like a lot of other role playing game settings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, should we move on then to yeah. the, the question, question of the soul? Pigs in space. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do we got, Jordan? Today's question of the sode comes from the RPG Reddit. Uh, and this question was asked by Accidental Rob. <laughs> and the question is, do you have gaming table policies? <laughs> so Accidental Rob says, I have recently started up a D&D game, and after the first session, I'm wondering if I need to write up some basic policies for my table regarding behavior. And then he goes on to detail some of the problematic behavior that's happened at his table. Uh, and he talks about that for a little bit, and then he asks GMs, do you set up policies to guide that sort of behavior at the table? Um, this, uh, for small groups that are mostly familiar with each other, uh, essentially. And he's just wanting feedback on what GMs do to set up table policies, if people set up table policies, um, for their games. So yeah, that is the question. I mean, I have definitely played in both kinds of games. I've played at Tables where it was just kind of a whatever, we're here. And tables in which it was more like, a okay, you know, here are the things that we're going to avoid. Let's focus, whatever. And I, I personally, it's interesting because I spend so much time thinking about running things on stream. So you're, I mean, coming from a theatrical background, I approach things in that way. You know, it's a focused uh, exper- entertainment experience. So there are certain elements you want to put in there. But honestly stream or not, I kind of want that anyway. And so that means uh, try to avoid distractions. And I I mean, I guess I'll just go off Mysterium and and taking out the fact that it was on stream, but it was, you know, let's keep cell phones, uh, the cell phone use to a minimum, if at all, if possible. And, uh, and, and, and I want this to be grounded. So let's, you know, if we can stay focused, not, not no jokes, whatever jokes are fine, but, but I want, let's, let's tell this story together and be able to come back and take it seriously. Um, those maybe not, aren't necessarily policies, but for me personally, well, that is something they that were. And, and you talked to your players about that ahead I did, of time yes. and they were on board with those policies. And that, that too, actually for me was very important. I picked players that I knew would most likely be on board and be down to do that sort of thing and and want and wanted to focus in that way because not everybody does some people I played with people who definitely you know they want to play a game casually but then they also want to spend 20 minutes talking about this funny joke that they heard the other right. day or whatever you know yeah. and that that's that's their thing I don't want to do that it's not fun for me personally mm-hmm. I want those to be separate things but for some people that's fine so you know then they need to play with other people who are 
good for that. Yeah, and, and if some players like don't, let's say for the phone thing, if they don't agree with that, they're like, oh, I kind of like checking my phone. Like compromise, be like, okay, every hour I'll give you five minutes and you guys can all chat and look at your phone for just a little sure. bit. Sure, yeah. Like you, you, they might appreciate the break and you might need it too. Right. So just, you know, yeah. compromise. Right. Mm-hmm. And really what all of this boils down to is open communication with yes. your players. Yes. So I would recommend, like most GMs have pet peeves at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also don't like cell phone use. Um, I... Uh, it really bugs me. I've played with so many groups that want to have the TV on Ugh, while they're playing. The worst. I know. Um, I don't understand it. Um, if that's what your group does and that works for you, that's totally fine. But for me, it bugs the crap out of me to have like, you know, like Family Guy playing while we're trying to play D and D. So I think the best thing you can do is to lay out those ground rules from the get go. Like, here's what I'd like. This is this is what I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first get here. Um, We'll spend like half an hour just sort of settling in, eating, hanging out, talking, and then we'll get started and we'll play the game and we'll focus in on playing the game until we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then also be open and available to your players um, on a one-on-one basis, like, you know, text me, message me, email me, whatever. If you have an issue with any of this stuff or anything else that's happening at the table, like if your players have issues with something else another player's doing, um, I wouldn't necessarily encourage like, uh, confrontation at the table right away because that can kind of get out of control. Yeah. Like, but make yourself available and open for them to talk to you about something like, hey, this person makes a lot of uh, sexual jokes that are border borderline um, make me uncomfortable, yeah. uh, and I wish they would not do that. And then you can talk to that player, um, and kind of like uh, set things up in a in a way where everyone's on board and everyone understands. Well, especially because I know a lot of it can be really hard to find a D and D group or an RPG group, and oftentimes it's people that don't know each other, and that can be more uncomfortable, and that can alienate people. You know, you 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 don't want to feel like one of your players is like, well, I feel uncomfortable here, but I don't feel like I can talk about it, so I'm just going to mm-hmm. leave. Yeah, don't stick around just because that's the only option you have. Sure, that like, too. Yeah, don't yeah. suffer through it. Like I've always heard this saying that um no D is better than bad D. Mm. yeah so yeah don't don't stick you i'm sure you can find another group just just don't stick around and feel tortured for the whole four hours or whatever that you're there for i've heard the opposite of that as well but i agree with that construction of it as well there's some <laughs> okay. people that will say bad D is better than no D, but i disagree mm. yeah. um i don't i don't think that's the case I don't think yeah. it's worth it. especially not now with, with roll 20 and all these other ways where you can play online mm-hmm. um and that's the other thing about being a gm and setting out your guidelines if any of your players have a problem with it they can leave your game yeah you yeah. know mm-hmm. but but you want to make sure that everyone is playing in the kind of environment they want to play in And going back to our GM anxiety thing, that includes you, GMs. You are Mm -hmm. also playing a game. Even though you're creating it and adjudicating the the world and all of that stuff, you're still there to play and have fun. You you also get to play and have fun. You're allowed to have a good time. (laughs) We can't stress that enough. Yeah. Please have fun. (laughs) It's important. Well, uh, one thing, and I'm sort of making assumptions here, but um, for wild cards, the show that we are all in on Saving Throw, there is a a, a group of people who have watched our show who have created their own game that they play together. And I've seen them say on our Discord a couple of times that they're so excited to have found a group that plays like they do. Mm -hmm. And that, that really is so meaningful. And that's sort of, I think, what we're talking about. It's meaningful 
people to find the group that does play for the GM and for the players in the way that you want. So whatever that is, maybe that's you guys just really like battle. So you just do battle. You don't worry about RP or maybe it's the opposite or whatever. And, um, and, and, and it's a big deal. So I, I do think it's important, sort of like what both Jordan and Grob, you guys were saying about, you know, don't feel like you have to stick at a table that you don't like, you don't like the policies and GM, you don't have to force people. There, there's, there is compromise and that means they compromise as well as you compromise and everybody needs to have fun. Yeah. And yeah. so if you're a laid back GM and really not much bothers you, then don't worry about setting up table guidelines if, sure. if that's the way it's going to work for you and it works for your players. Um, but if you do have some things that you would prefer not be there as a GM, don't be afraid to be upfront about that. You know, like set up your expectations from the get go and then everyone can decide whether or not that's yeah. something they want to play. In. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I really do think uh, that play it's easy at least for me with the way my anxiety works sometimes to assume that oh that'll be like we're just playing a game and my players are gonna think i'm being weird by setting ground rules but honestly a lot of times just being clear about what you want makes people they're like yeah i totally get that i feel great we're all on the same page everybody's happy and it also immediately sets up the fact that that is a dialogue that can be had that i can state what i want you can state what you want it's it's good foundation for a uh potentially very healthy game did we answer right. that question I, I think, think we did i think we knocked it out of the park yeah wow. that's the way the cookie sir crumbles sir crumbles oh you took it, uh, what do you got megan you're true i don't you're true you're true <laughs> you're true you're true guys you're true. If, if you take nothing else away from this episode, <laughs> take that away. You're true. You are true. Unless you're a ghost, then you're not. Yeah, you're false if you're a ghost. You're false. Is that how it works? So it's just like, are we all like paladin? Let's not clerics? read too much into this, okay? okay? Let's I, say goodbye. Yeah. Oh. If, if I didn't get to really create the extended train metaphor, we don't get to read <laughs> into this too much. Mm. All right, guys. Until next time. Let's go. This podcast has been a Saving Throw production. You can connect with us on Twitter at expointerspod, and you can follow each of the hosts on Twitter at their respective handles. Jordan is at Jordan Callerman, Megan is at Megan Caves, and Garav is at DoubleGXG. You can also watch us streaming RPGs and more at the Saving Throw Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash savingthrowshow. If you want to listen to new episodes of this podcast early, consider becoming a Saving Throw Patreon backer. Patrons at the $10 level and up can listen to new episodes a week early. You can also help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you found it to help get the word out. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.